more talk about Acts 27, that's where we're up to, which is Paul's last recorded journey when he goes to, uh, to Rome. So let's just start with a, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, through the Lord, we come to you to thank you for your presence with us and for your desire to take us on a journey that will lead finally to salvation. We pray that you go with us and bless us and guide us at last that we might make the journey and that we might rejoice on that journey and that we will definitely come with you and by your grace alone to that great salvation. For the Lord's sake. Amen. So, we're going to read the story because some of you may or may not have uh, thought about this before. So, what was determined that we should sail into Italy, this is when Paul's appealed to be judged by Caesar, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one called Julius, the centurion. And entering into a ship of Adramitium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coasts of Asia. Now, Adramitium, see all these words mean something. Uh, it means literally the ship of death. The ship of death. So straight away you get all sort of uh, ears open to the possibility that this might be some kind of big parable. Of course, the journey happened. And it's going to involve a huge shipwreck, the destruction of the boat, and they're all just about making it to, uh, to the island of Malta. And not one of them is lost, but it's a terrible journey. Well, he said, verse 4, when we launched, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. They started off uh, pretty bad. And they changed ship, verse 7, we sailed under Crete. Verse 8, and we came to a place called the Fair Havens, near the city of Lassia. When much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said to them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Now, at the end of the story, you're going to see that actually nobody does die. But Paul is told that actually if we go on this journey, we're going to lose our lives. But the plan is changed by God because of Paul being on the boat. And actually all these people in the ship of death who are sailing off to their deaths, actually the plan is changed. And so you see how the story is developing. As I say, it's a kind of parable that we are sinners and the wages of sin is death. And so we're like on a journey that is going to finish in death, but the whole thing is changed around by grace. You know, weights of sin is death, we all sin, so therefore that's the deal. We accepted it, but we sinned, we messed up, so we've got to die. But it's changed. And that's the wonder of the Gospel. <clears throat> so verse 12, because the haven, the harbour, wasn't commodious, wasn't um, a nice place to spend the winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, the harbour of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and to spend the winter there. Right, so then on the way on this journey they come to Crete and they land in a little place called Fair Havens. But they say, no, nah, this is not a good place to spend the winter. Let's just sail along the coast of Crete a little bit and get to the big city of Phoenix. You understand why? The sailors would be like, this tiny little place we're in called Fair Havens, there's no pubs or no taverns here. 
Um, we're going to spend the whole winter just here. Nah, let's risk it, sail along the coast a little bit and see if we can make the big city in uh, Phoenix and spend the winter in Phoenix where there's nightclubs, taverns, bars and, and so on. What's going to happen is that, yeah, they do try and do that, but whoosh, a big wind comes, a storm comes, and they're blown out to sea, far away from Crete. So, they only spend basically a few days on Crete in this little place called Fair Havens. And oddly enough, I knew a guy, a British guy, who uh, retired early and went out to Crete and spent the rest of his life living on Crete. And he'd been to this place where Paul stopped, and he said, even back in those days, it would have been just nothing, just a tiny little collection of houses. No wonder they wanted to get out of there and not spend the whole winter there. Well, this is the only time that it's recorded that Paul spent time on Crete. Well, when he's in Rome in prison, some while later, he writes um, to Titus, and he says, I want you to organize the churches in Crete. So there were churches in Crete, and how did that happen? I reckon Paul was there just for a few days in this dumb little island that was just a dumb little village, just a few houses. Um, he planted the gospel, and it turned into a load of churches in Crete. Before Paul left on this journey, he was two years in prison in Caesarea, and from there he wrote... From there he wrote to the church in Rome and he said, please can you pray that I have a prosperous journey to come to see you. When you read the story, you might think, oh, whoops, that was one of those prayers that didn't get answered. But actually, it was. Because in God's bigger picture, out of all the mess we're going to read, of the shipwreck and all the rest of it, it was blessed. He brought the gospel to Crete. Just a few days staying in some dumb little collection of houses, that spread the gospel. And you see, this is the great thing about life in Christ. That what seems to be a disaster, what seems to be a total mess in human life, is actually used by God. And that is one of the most wonderful things, that nothing is wasted, that it's win-win. Even if you lose, you win. This is a big theme of Paul's writings. He even says that death is gain. This is win-win, this life. If you're in Christ, if you're going God's way, nothing can go wrong, even death itself, even disability, illness, death itself. It's win-win. So, when the south wind blew softly, verse 13, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close inshore, but after a short time they beat down a tempestuous wind which is called Euraquilo. And when the ship was caught, couldn't face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along running along the lee of a small island called Clauda, we were able with difficulty to secure the skiff. That's the, the lifeboat that they, were, they, they were, had behind them. When they'd hoisted it up, so now they have got no lifeboat, they used supports to undergird the ship. Fearing that they would be cast upon the Sirtis sandbar, they lowered the sail and so were driven by the wind. I've said to you before that in Hebrew and in Greek and in many languages, the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same. <coughs> so, they were driven, it keeps saying, by the wind. 
furiously driven. And it seemed they were being driven to their destruction, to disaster. That's what it seems. But we're going to see that out of all that comes salvation. So, God's Spirit is in your life, driving you along. But it doesn't mean that therefore life is going to be full of wonderful, awesome, positive experiences. And this is one problem that I find with the sort of culture of, um, oh, how are you today? Oh, awesome. How was your week? Oh, it's awesome. How was your month? Awesome. You know? Maybe your mum died, or your cat got run over, or you, you know, your wife left you, or your husband cheated on you, or whatever. You know, that's life. That's what, <laughs> life is not awesome, no matter how you make it out to be, isn't it? But God's Spirit is, is pushing you forward all the time. And you have actually a destination. And that destination is final salvation, eternal life. So, 18, the next day as we were being violently tossed by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo. The third day, with their own hands, they threw overboard the tackle of the ship. So now they have no direction. They can't guide themselves. And this is, as I say, all a parable of our lives in Christ. On the ship of death, but with his presence. And now they, they're driven by the wind, by the spirit. They throw the tackle overboard. They can't guide themselves. In the same way that you and I cannot map out our own life. We can't say, ah, oh, well I shall do this now. But in five years I shall do this, and then I shall marry, and then I shall have kids, and then I shall, I will go and live in, uh, I don't know, Manchester, and then I will go and live in, uh, oh, I think I will then go and live in, um, in Spain. But no, you can't. You have no power over your life in that sense, fortunately. So, 20, when neither sun nor stars shone upon us for many days and they navigated by the sun and the stars. So they, they've got no way to guide the ship. They're now out of navigation. There's no GPS, of course. GPS signal lost. All hope that we should be saved was now taken away. And Paul had told them that God has said that this journey is going to be to the loss of many lives. But we're going to see that it wasn't. But all their hope to be saved was taken away. And after they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood in the midst of them. And he was just a passenger. He was just a prisoner. And he said, gentlemen, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and gained this injury and loss. You see, he's playing with words. You have gained this loss. That's the great thing. That even what appears to be loss in the end, spiritually, is turned into gain. That every cloud does have the silver lining. You have gained this loss. And again, Paul says that about his own life. He says, I suffered the loss of all things. I was a rabbi. I was a professional. I had a career I was well thought of. And I lost all that to gain Christ. And as I say, to gain this loss. He could see that out of evil, good was going to come. And this is what I most love about the way God works in human lives. That the, the blackest, most negative moments, even death itself, you know, as the song we're singing says, 
and uh, one, one day I'm going to cross the river. And as death gives way to victory, one of the hymns that abide with me um, says that, you know, he quotes from 1 Corinthians, that death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your victory? You are a loser. Death, sin, the grave, in the end, is all a loser. If, 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 if you are in Christ. So, he says, I encourage you to be of good, good courage. For there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So, God has told him to start with, this is going to cause the loss of life. But now Paul says, no, the ship's going to be destroyed. The ship of death, this body, this dumb situation that we're in, that will be taken away. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Because this night there stood by me an angel of the God whose I am, who also I served, saying, Fear not, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and God has granted you the lives of all those who sail with you. So what was the change? The change was that God decided, I will save all the people on that boat because of Paul. And you see how it is that he represents, in this case, Jesus. We're all the prisoners on the boat, doomed to death. We have no navigation. We have no way of directing our lives. We are heading for certain death. All hope that we should be take, we should be saved has been taken away. But because we have the Lord Jesus, as it were, with us in the ship, of our nature, ha- having suffered as death as we did, he tasted death for every man. Paul says, therefore, he has been given our lives. But he said, verse 26, we must be cast upon a certain island. When the 14th night had arrived, there were two weeks in this situation, as we were driven to and fro in the Sea of Adrian, again, the wind, the spirit is driving them to and fro. Just as in your life, sometimes it seems it's all, it's all an end of the circle. Here, there again, there again, back here again, there again. The sailors sensed they were drawing near to some land, and they sounded and found 30 metres. They had like a lead weight on a rope that they dangled down and they said, yeah, it's, we're getting to land. It's 30 metres after a little while, they found 25 metres. Fearing that they should run aground on the rocks, they let go four anchors in the stern and wished for daylight. Well, the coming of the Lord Jesus is likened to the dawn. And the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. So that's our situation. We are assured that because we've got, as it were, Paul with us, because we've got, as it were, the Lord Jesus with us, therefore we can look forward confidently to a day dawning of salvation. And as the sailors were seeking to abandon the ship and had lowered the skiff, that's like a big lifeboat, into the sea, under pretense that they would lay anchors from the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So there is a tendency to think that we can bring about our salvation in our own strength. And some of them thought they were pretending, oh yeah, we're just going to drop some anchors and they were going to get away in the lifeboat. And Paul says, no. There, there they were about to lower the lifeboat 
by ropes from the big ship into the sea. Paul says, uh, Paul says, don't do that. And they cut the ropes and they let the lifeboat fall into the sea. So now they are totally without any human hope of salvation. And that's so important because we all tend to think that we can get saved in our own strength. People tell me, oh, I can't be baptised, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I mean, you will never know enough and you will never be good enough. No way. So, <clears throat> their, their only hope is with God. And this is how you see God and the Lord Jesus work in your life to bring you to a point where you have only them, where you have no other human path of salvation. They've cut the ropes, they've let the lifeboat fall into the sea. And while the day was dawning, Paul pleaded with them all to take some food, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that you wait and continue fasting, having eaten nothing. I guess they were fasting, praying to all their idols, to all their gods, Oh, save me, save me. And Paul says, No, stop it. They're not going to save you. I beg you to take some food, for this is for your health, and not a hair shall perish from the head of any of you. When he had said this, and had taken bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And they were encouraged to eat some food themselves. This is very much like the breaking of bread. He takes the bread and gave thanks, Eucharistom, from where you get the word Eucharist. Just like we're going to do, we're going to break bread in memory of Jesus. Well, I think he invites everybody on the boat to join in this kind of breaking of bread communion service. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. When they'd eaten enough, they lighted the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. So now they've got no food. They have got no food, they've got nothing. And it's as if progressively they are brought to this point where you absolutely do not have anything. You have no way of navigation, you have no chance of salvation, you've cut the ropes on your lifeboat, that's fallen into the sea, you've thrown your food out, and you wonder why God apparently is, acts, let's say, tough with us at times. It's not that he's a hard man, it's that he wants us to be saved, but he knows that we can only come to his salvation by giving up all human strength, all human advantage, we've got to surrender it. So when it was day, they, they didn't recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, and they took counsel of whether they could drive the ship upon it. This is St. Paul's Bay in Malta, which Dottie was telling me the other day, you swam across it. Isn't that right, Dorothy? Pardon? You swam across St. Paul's Bay. Yes. Well, there you go. So, they didn't recognize the land. It's a bit like Abraham, who was called to go out to a land that he did not know, but he trusted it, that it was there. So, casting off the anchors, verse 14, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosing the bands of the rudders, hoisting up the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. So finally you get to this point, where you totally surrender to the direction of God's Spirit. I keep saying the word for wind and the word for spirit are the same. So they're now just totally at the mercy of the wind. 
they are being blown at high speed to, to the beach, to the land, which is going to be their salvation. But they struck a place where two seas met, and they ran the ship aground. I suggest that that talks about the day of judgment, a place where two seas met. And they ran the ship aground, and the prow, the front of it, stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So they got no choice now but to chuck themselves into the sea, because the front of the boat is stuck in the sandbar, the back of the boat is being smashed up, it's only made of wood after all, by these violent waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, desiring, desiring to save Paul, stopped them from their purpose <coughs> and commanded that they who could swim should throw themselves overboard first and get to land. And then the rest, some on planks and some on other things from the ship. And so it came to pass that they all escaped safely to land. And we go to the next chapter. And when we had escaped, then we knew the island was called Malta. When we'd escaped, literally, it's the word for saved. When we were saved, we knew the place was called Malta. What does Malta mean? It means land of honey. Land of honey. <coughs> the land of milk and honey. As it were, quite clearly, a symbol of God's kingdom. So I'll go back to how, when he's uh, thinking of going to Rome, he writes to the church in Rome and says, please pray that I have a prosperous journey to you. Well, I said that that prayer was answered. But in the middle of the, of the storm, it would have seemed that, uh-uh, it's not going to be answered. But it was. And this is going to be how we are, finally, when we come to salvation. That we're going to be like Paul, stumbling up the beach on Malta. Stumbling up the beach on St. Paul's Bay, what is now surrounded by hotels, cafes, nightclubs, and so forth. It wasn't like it, of course, in those days. Stumbling up there, for sure, these guys were naked. You know, they, 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 the, the sea, the waves were furious. They were pretty well naked. Those who could swim were swimming. Those who couldn't were just grabbing on with a bit of wood from the broken ship. And just stumbling up that beach like, this was amazing, I am saved. And you see... If you're baptised into the Lord Jesus, see who believes and is baptised will be saved. And if you keep going on that journey, you see, this is how it will end for you. This wonderful ending. And, you know, there is, I think, in human nature a fear of endings. We, we have a fear of endings. And yet that will be, you know, fear the end of your life. You fear that a good position that you're in in life will come to an end. You know that the party is going to be over at some point. But, no. When you're with the Lord, there is no fear of endings. Because there is finally the life eternal. Which Paul says will be an eternal glory. Peter says the same. That shall not fade away. So when you have a good experience, yeah, it's nice. Oh, yeah, the party's nice. Or this is nice. Or the, the, the food is tasting lovely. But it's going to fade. That too will fade. You get this wonderful relationship. That too will fade. You know, you have a child. Oh, a beautiful baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, the kids grow up. And there's arguments when they're adolescents. And 
issues at school and money and all this, you know, life's, that's how life is. Everything fades to grey to some degree. But the hope of the kingdom, the hope of eternity in Jesus Christ is a reward, a glory that Peter says, Paul says as well, shall not fade away, but will keep on and on and on, getting more and more wonderful. But as I say, we shall enter that salvation like like Paul and those guys on the beach at Malta, stumbling up the up the beach, just like wow, that was God's grace. What am I doing here? You know, absolutely. I think of that when I hear in the cafe that piano man started playing. You know, Bill, what are you doing here? Yeah, that's how I'm going to feel in the kingdom when we're saved. Like, what am I doing here? But it will happen, absolutely. So we're going to take the bread and the juice. Um, just like Paul did with them that, that night on the ship. Just like he did that night. And he said, come on, take it. They, they'd been refusing to take it. But he, he said, no, come on, take it. Because this was the symbol of their salvation. Because of being with Paul. Because of him. You know, as God said, I, I will save all those that are on the ship, all 276 of them, because of you, Paul. And I imagine, it doesn't say so, I imagine he'd been praying for them. God, can you save me? Can you save them? And God said, yeah, okay. I'll do that. And so God, as it were, changed the whole purpose, the whole original plan that all the people on the sea, of, on the ship of death were doomed to die. But they were saved from that. Because of Paul, because of Jesus, in the analogy, in the, uh, in the parable, as it were. So then, this bread represents his body, and this cup represents his blood, which is his life that was given for us. Right, let's pray for the bread and for the cup. Heavenly Father, through the Lord, we thank you for that great salvation that we have seen and known in your Son. And we thank you for him with all our hearts, for his, his blood, for his life, for his body shared so freely with us. We pray you'll guide each of us to the end, that we might come through the storm to that great salvation. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.